We've been through, in recent days, Revelation 1, verses 1 to 8. We've seen that it's the introduction to the book of Revelation. Now, often we skip introductions because we're trying to get to the best bits. Um, I don't know how you read books. My wife really gets annoyed with me sometimes because every now and again I read the last page because I want to find out what happens and I want to be able to get to sleep, so I want to I find out what happens. I read the last page and then I go back and read the rest of the book because I'm now satisfied they didn't die after all or he did marry her or whatever's going to happen, happens. You know? and then I, every now and again, it stuffs up the whole book for you. Mm? We, we have such a, such a desire to get to the juicy bits, the last bit, the exciting bit, the, and, and we often forget that the, the foundation's laid in the introduction. In the introduction to a book, you find out who the characters are, you find out why it was written, you find out all that stuff, you find out all the important stuff so you can understand the stuff at the end. If the book of Revelation is no different. If you skip to the middle and the end before you understand what it's all about at the beginning, you miss the point. And I think that's where the church is at as far as the book of Revelation is concerned. We're so keen on getting to beasts and 666s six, six, and harlots and you name it all, monsters and six-headed things. We're so keen on getting to all of that and getting all the mystical understandings and outworkings of it that we forget what the book is really all about. It is not about the devil. It is not about the Antichrist. It is not about 666 or the mark of the beast or whatever. Those things are in there, but that's not what it's about. Neither is Christianity about the devil and demons and all that stuff. Yes, they exist, but it's not what it's all about. What it's all about is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the revelation we read in verse 1 of chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation is the unveiling, the, the, the presenting of who Jesus really is in the midst of stuff. And what we tend to get well, slip over as Christians is that, there's us, that we slip over our stuff. We get tripped up by the stuff that goes on from day to day, by the things that happen to us that shouldn't happen. You ever heard that? You ever use that? This should not happen to me. You're right, but I've got bad news for you. It's going to. They should not have driven their car into me. That's true, but they did. Hmm? I should get a better deal than this. Yes, but you didn't. Now, what do we do in the midst of all of that? This is what revelation is all about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ in the midst of the world's murky stuff. And in the introduction, we, John clearly lies out, lays out the genre, what kind of book it is. It's an apocalypse, it's a prophecy, it's a letter. We've gone through all that, not going to do it again. Go to the website, listen to the messages. He lays out the importance of the book, who it's written to, what he wants them to gain from it. And really what he wants them and us to gain from the book of Revelation is an understanding of who God is and who we are. He's not interested in you getting an understanding who the Antichrist is. There have been many antichrists since this was written. 
He's not interested in you understanding who the beast is. There have been many beasts, and there probably will be. The harlot is just a world system, and it's been around since this time, and it's around now. We'll get to all of that. Not going to spend a lot of time on it, but those things have been and always will be since Adam fell. Or since the devil fell, really. But the point is, in the middle of all of this, who is God? Who is God to us? Who is God really in the middle of our stuff? And who are we? Who is God and who are we? That is what the book of Revelation is really all about. And in doing those things, he gives us an overview of the message of the entire book. If you read Revelation 1, verses 1 to 8, you've read the whole book. Oh, there was no Antichrist on there. It doesn't matter. You've read the whole book. You've got the message, really. But I guarantee that's the bit you've hardly read properly. I bet you it's the juicy bits you've read properly. <coughs> you skip to the end where we win. But you forget you're not going to feel like you've won unless you put the rest of it into practice. As the All Blacks found out, you can't win unless you play, play properly. Huh? Folks, you can't win unless you play properly. And Revelation teaches us how to play properly. Okay. So Revelation is written to give a suffering church a new perspective on life. If you're not suffering yet, you will. You better believe it. How many times have I suffered? I've lost count. Good thing is God keeps all your tears in his bottle. And he keeps all your prayers. So if you don't pray, he hasn't got much to keep. If you pray a lot, he's keeping them all. And we'll see in Revelation what he does with them. Revelation is written to help them to see what God sees, to help us to see what God sees, to help them see that God has everything in control in the middle of the stuff. God is in control. You might not feel like God is in control, but you need to know God is in control in your life. Even if you are out of control, God is in control. Hmm. We have trouble believing that, don't we? But it's true. He reigns over everything now. We are all praying for a future time when God will reign. Folks, he reigns now. In spite of all that mankind and the forces of darkness seek to do and will continue to seek to do, God is in control. God doesn't get off his throne. If we lose our job, God does not get off his throne. If there was a tragedy in our family, God does not get off his throne. Yes, it affects us, but he is still in control. No matter what people do or don't do, God is still in control. So this leads us now to the second part of chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. We're not going to get through this today. We're going to do one verse today. <laughs> verses 9 to 13 we're going to look at. 
but we'll just really talk about one verse. So let's read Revelation 1, verses 9. No, we won't read it. Don't do that, Peter. Revelation 1, verses 9 to 20 is broken into two parts. The first part is a vision of the end-time church. You'll realize it's just repeating verses 1 to 8 again. It's a vision of the end-time church, but the stuff in here we need to look at this morning. And the second part, verses 13 to 20, is a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see Jesus Christ in verses 13 through to 20 as he really is now. As he always was before he came to this earth as a man. We see the real Jesus in verses 13 to 20. And he's not your little cuddly bear. But we'll get to that next week. Let's look at verses 9 to 13, shall we? We'll read those, and then we'll look at verse 9 in particular. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance, if you read that properly, you want to go right now, because that's what we're going to talk about, is our, that is ours in Jesus. It was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which says, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the seven lampstands was someone like a son of man, and we will not go any further. I've heard Revelation 1 preached, and I've always heard verse 10 preached. I'm not going to preach verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I'm sure you've all heard sermons on that. Been in Pentecostal churches long enough, you've all heard a sermon on I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, so you should be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and you will receive visions too. We're not going to talk about that. Let's look at verse 9. I've never heard this preached. Never. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. If we only read this properly, we would understand why our lives are the way they are. Who is the church? This is a vision of the end time church. This is the church that Jesus is coming back for. Who is it? What is ours in Christ in these last days? In Pentecostal churches, when we preach what is ours in Christ, we talk about prosperity, and we talk about health, and we talk about well-being, don't we? This morning, what is ours in Christ, I'm going to tell you. What can we expect in this fallen world in which we live? And what should be our daily response? In verse 9, it introduces three things. And we really need to understand these three things if we're going to stand in these days. And not just stand, but make an impact. And I don't think we do. I really don't. Because if we did, we would never say, that shouldn't happen to me. All right. But before we get there, let's look at the first little phrase. He says, I, John, your brother, and companion. This isn't in the notes very much, but I want to talk about that. Your brother and companion. Your brother. 
It says, you're related to me. We are from the same family. We're brothers. The Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, when Ray and Jan became members this morning, they're saying, we are brothers and sisters of yours. We are now family. Your brother. Having the same parents. Having the same blood, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. We are joined by blood. We're not just people who choose to go to a church on a Sunday. That's a very poor imitation of what the church is. We are actually family. We're brothers and sisters. Now, sometimes we don't like our family members, do we? But I tell you what, still blood. You know, at school, you know, if, if one of your brothers or sisters has been picked on, you might have beaten the daylights out of them at home, but if somebody else tries to do it at school, you'll support them to the death. Don't you touch my brother. Don't you touch my sister. I'll get my brother onto you. Brothers and sisters, is that the kind of relationship we have? Your brother and companion. What's a companion? A companion, companion means a joint partner or a co-participant. A companion goes through stuff with you. See, when you have companions at school, they get into the same trouble you get into, don't they? When I went through the... I'm going to tell you now. We used to live at the, in our house at the back. There was a... Um, a, a builder's yard, and they used to put some of their windows and stuff would be lying up against the... Well, me and my companions one day decided to break them all. So we went along with stones and broke all the windows. Companions got into the same trouble. Because we were companions, no one found out because no one told. Now, I'm not recommending you do that. What I am saying is companions get into stuff together. Companions understand when one another are in pain. Hmm? Acquaintances don't, but companions do. Companions see the signs and they're there, right? And John says, I'm your brother, but I'm also your companion. I walk this road with you. I will not let you carry something that I am not prepared to carry too. Companion. Ah, is the church full of companions or acquaintances? I think it's something we need to really seriously think about. Do we walk the road together? When we say, how are you, do we really want the response? And do we know what to do with the response when we get it? Companion. So don't go breaking windows together. But we are companions. Now, we are brothers and companions in three things. 
There are three things that are ours, Jesus Christ. See, his point here is that as members of God's family, we are all going to experience some stuff. All of us. You will either experience it with companions or you'll experience it alone. But you're going to experience it. You weren't told this when you became a Christian, were you? I'm telling you now. In fact, you won't just experience it. <laughs> we will all experience the same things. What is common to us as members of God's family? Who are we? What is ours in Christ? Let's look at it. I'm going to take the good one first, even though it's not mentioned first. Verse 9, I, your John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus. Let's look at the middle one, kingdom. I, that, that one you'd really want me to talk about, wouldn't you? We are companions. We are Kingdom is the place of power and dignity. It's the royal power and dignity conferred on Christians as being part of Christ's kingdom. Do you realize that you are kings? I've told you that already. You are kings and queens. You are royalty. You are more re royalty than Meghan Markle is. You might live in a fancy house and have fancy rings and have clothes that cost far greater than any human being on this planet. You are royalty. Three people believe that. Royalty, being part of the kingdom, the kingdom is the right or the authority to rule. You have, as kings and queens in the kingdom of God, the right and authority to rule. And you say right now, I don't feel that. It's got nothing to do with what you feel. The fact is, you have it. You say, but. Before you say, but, think about Jesus. Is he a king or isn't he? Who is Jesus? He's God, right? The king of kings. No king higher. What did Jesus experience? <laughs> All right. We'll get to that. Jesus spoke at length about the kingdom of God. In fact, that was most, most of his message was the kingdom of God. He'd say, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. His preaching was about the kingdom. Matthew 6.33, he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, talking to us. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek it first before anything else. Live for the kingdom. I have lived my life for, flip, I'm so old I've forgotten how, how many years. 40, 50 something years for the kingdom. 47, did math. I've lived my life seeking the kingdom first. Has it been pleasant? Not always, but I've done it because it's the only way to live. It's been the most exciting life you could ever have. New things around every corner. Never boring. Luke 11 verse 20, he said, The kingdom of God has come to you. 
And we all think, oh, that's talking about Jesus. No, he's saying, I came to usher in the kingdom. It's now with you. And then in verses, uh, seven, uh, chapter 17 of Luke, verse 21, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. When we become a Christian, the kingdom of God is now within us. Not just with us, but within us. We carry the kingdom wherever we go. And you say, I don't feel like that. doesn't make any difference. It's true. James 2 verse 5, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? You are inheritors of a kingdom. God has given it to you and me. Romans 8, 18 to 19, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. I always thought that's talking about one day. The church will just sort of, there's sort of like a veil will come off and we'll all start to shine. I think this is what it means. The creation is waiting for us to wake up and realize who we really are. Who are we? We're sons of the kingdom. We rule and reign with Christ. Man, that is exciting. We're seated in heavenly places with him. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read something. This is one of the most exciting passages in the Word of God. Ephesians 1, 18 to 23. Paul's praying. He said, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He said, I'm praying that your eyes would be opened, you'd see who you really are. And his, incompa- and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. What Paul is saying is the power that's within you is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. In you, in me. It's there already. You don't have to wait for a day for it to happen. It's there. We've just got to have our eyes open to see it. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Listen to me. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Who's the fullness of Christ? You are. It's what? The church. And then I want us to go to verse 6 of chapter 2. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. Not God will. God has. You are already seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. You and I already rule and reign. It's just we don't see it. Paul says, I pray that your eyes will be opened. We are walking around with our eyes shut. 
The truth is we already rule and reign with Christ in heavenly places. I used to think that talk, was talking about a day to come where, oh, the church would be seen for what it really The church already is this. It just doesn't know it. That's what Revelation's all about. It's trying to get us to open our eyes to see the world, to see us, to see Jesus as it really is. So as part of the kingdom of God, therefore, what can we expect on earth now? Well, if I'm part of the kingdom, I'd expect to be rich. And I'd expect to never get sick. And I'd expect everything to go well. I'd expect my car to be flash. I'd expect my car never to be broken into. I'd expect my children always to be well. I'd never have to go to the hospital. I would expect, I'm in the kingdom. I'm invincible. Superman. Let's go on. Paul says, I join your brother and companion in the suffering. Not a pleasant topic, is it? I want you to know, Aaron, I wish you hadn't chosen that song because I couldn't sing it. We're companions in Christ's suffering. What's suffering? It means to press, as in pressing grapes. When she wrote that song, when Brooke Fraser, not Fraser anymore, but when she wrote that song, that's what she's talking about. It's the pressing of grapes. It's to be afflicted. It's to be burdened. It's to be under pressure. The images of, of, of wine being trampled in a barrel. Trampled and trampled and trampled, and out comes the juice. That's what the word suffering means, literally. And as members of Christ's family, we will experience this as part of being in the kingdom. We will experience the same opposition from the forces of darkness as Jesus did. If he was not invincible from it, why should we be? Have you thought about that? If people abuse Jesus, they will abuse you. If people hurt Jesus, they will hurt you. If things came against Jesus, they will come against you. If people let Jesus down, they will let you down. I've learned over the years what Jesus went through. I've felt it. I've felt what it's like to be in the Garden of Gethsemane and when he's praying and the disciples go to sleep and he, he comes to them and says, couldn't you wait with me one hour? In my darkest hour, couldn't you stay with me and pray with me? Three times. And then he said, oh, let's go. It happened to Jesus. Jesus was crushed, he was squeezed, he was trampled on. Do you know what the product was? Life for you and I. And all of the things that Annie and I have been through, the product has always been life. Never hopeless. Out of it, out of that trampling, out of the crushing, out of the wounding, out of the pain, has always come life. Always. 
The process has been held, but the product has always been good. I know now that if I'm going through something like that, there's something good coming around the corner. I've got a whole lot of verses there. I don't think I'll read them. You get the picture, right? And what I'm preaching is scriptural. You just need to read the Bible there. In fact, the things I'm preaching on are the, probably mentioned more in Scripture than I mentioned any, uh, any other thing is mentioned. Much more than prosperity is mentioned. Jesus taught about suffering <laughs> much more than he talked about prosperity. We've got to get the balance right. Neither should we be a defeated, trampled on, miserable, sad little group of people going through things. That's not what it's about either. Yes, stuff happens, but we rule and reign in it. We will not be defeated because Jesus wasn't defeated. Jesus didn't lie down. Jesus didn't have a pity party in the corner. Jesus continued on with what he was meant to do, understanding that in the process he would be opposed. Suffering, trials, difficulties, they're part of living for Christ in a fallen planet. What's ours is the church. Folks, it's going to happen. And Revelation opens the door to let you see where it comes from. It's going to happen. It's not a negative thing. It's just reality. Don't be discouraged when things go wrong, because they will. Sometimes they'll go wrong because it's your fault. Then you need to do something about it to fix it. But sometimes they go wrong because you just happen to be a king or a queen in the kingdom. And you've got an opposition who doesn't like you. And so things will go wrong. Things will be difficult. Don't be discouraged. The result is always glorious. Always. I, when I was a young Christian... The, it was right during the time of the uh, Iron Curtain, uh, the, the uh, communist stuff in Russia and the, the uh, mistreatment of Christians and Christians were being rounded up and put into prison all over the place. And this, this one song was written um, by a Christian group. None of you will probably remember it at all. Aaliyah was her name. And I remember the words of the song. It's stuck with me all of my life. It had, they, when, when they were singing, they had a picture of this 30-year-old girl coming home from jail. She looked 90. And uh, she just looked a wreck, but she was beaming. Her face was glorious. And the words went something like this, Aaliyah, Aaliyah, they've done this to you and they've done this to you, but they, Aaliyah, they can't take the spirit away. And I want you to know, nobody, nothing can take the spirit away. Nothing can take away from you who you are. You are a son, you are a daughter of God, you are a king and a queen in the kingdom. Nobody can take that from you except you. And that is why John is so keen that we have our eyes open, that we see who we really are, because only you can lay that down in your thinking. And John wants you to, us, to, us to see that it's ours in the middle of what we're going through. It's still ours. They can't take it away. It doesn't make the pain any better, but it, we've got to understand that the product will be great.
Last thing. If that's the case, how should we react? (laughs) He covers that too. He says in verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion. You didn't realize there was that much in that verse, did you? Your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom. How do we react when we're we're children of the kingdom, experiencing suffering? The third one is there. And patient endurance that is ours in Christ. Patient endurance, that means steadfastness, constancy, endurance. It refers to the quality of not being shaken off course by difficulties. It's sort of like, you know, a ship is in the old sailing ships in the middle of a storm, and they they hold that rudder, you know, they hold it really tight, and they, they keep that rudder firm, because if they don't, they get blown off course. And it takes every bit of strength they have to keep that rudder constant, but they know that if they don't keep it constant, they're going to sink. So they keep it constant, and they they put all of their effort, all of their endurance, all of their strength into keeping that rudder just where it is. And then the storm blows them to where they're meant to be. (laughs) In fact, they get there quicker because of the storm. But if they didn't have the patient endurance to hold on to the rudder, they'd be blown off course and sink. The same storm will kill you or get you where you're meant to be quicker, depending on whether you've got hold of the rudder or not. And the rudder is patient endurance. I'm going to read a couple of verses, probably more than a couple, and then we're going to finish. Luke chapter 5. I want to read these because, sorry, James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 7 to 11. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Same word, patient endurance. Be patient. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. What he's saying is there is, is our only response in the time of struggle is patient endurance. If we stand firm, if we hold on, we will get to the good place. Luke chapter 21. Verses 8 to 19. This is a second coming passage. Jesus replied, Watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he. And the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes and famines and pestilences. Doesn't that sound like now? In various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, 
They'll lay hands on you and persecute you. They'll deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors, governors, all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you'll defend yourselves, for I'll give you the words and the wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You'll be betrayed, even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they'll put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish by standing firm. You will gain life. You know what? I've only just seen that little phrase now. I've always looked at the rest of it. But he says, all of that, by standing firm, you will receive life. I won't read the others, that's enough. You can read them at home, they're in the notes. Romans 5, 3 to 5, and Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Jesus said it there, by standing firm, patient endurance, you will receive life. What is our response as children, sons and daughters of the kingdom in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of suffering? What is our response? Stand firm, grab the rudder. Grab the rudder. Devil, you're not going to throw me off course. I am not going to be thrown off course. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it shouldn't happen. But I am not going to be thrown off course. I'm steering my sights, putting my sights ahead. I'm steering this boat to where it's meant to go. If people come with me, great, but I'm going there anyway. You're not knocking me down, devil. I'm punchy man. Do you have a punchy man when you're a kid? We had a punchy man. They're a blow-up toy that had sand in the bottom. And he used to kick the crap out of it and punch it. And it, you know what? It always came back. Anyone have one? Best toy ever. You need to have one because you're meant to be one. Always come back. The devil kicks you. Up you come again. Stay down. Up you come again. The more he kicks you, the more you come back. Many of us are going, <laughs> now get up again. Go on, hit the side. Oh, what about here? You missed here. And the result is always life. Folks, I'm going to live. I choose life. I don't want to be living a life of lying down. I choose to stand up. I choose to live. I choose to be victorious. I choose to stare those things in the face that would pull me down and say, you can hit me as much as you like, but I'm not moving. I choose So we need to know who the church is. We need to know we're members of Jesus' kingdom. We rule and reign with him. Never lose sight of that. And no matter what happens in life, it never changes that truth. Jesus reigns, so do we. Yes, we will experience tribulation because we're in the middle of a spirit war. 
Darkness versus light, we've talked about that. But our role as kings is to patiently endure and sometimes to tell it to go to hell in the name of Jesus. But if it won't go to hell in the name of Jesus when you tell it to, then you just put, get your rudder out and steer forward towards life. And because you have suffered, others will live. Because Jesus suffered, we live. The sufferings which you go through will bring life to others. That's God's plan for the church. Not that you be beaten around, but you be a church that stands and lives, that brings life to people around you because you've learned to be gutsy enough to put your hand on the rudder and say, devil, you're not going to keep me down. I am not going to be a miserable, beaten up person. Yes, I acknowledge, I'm not stupid. I acknowledge this is going on, but I acknowledge, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are king in the middle of it. And I will rise, and so will you, and the life will be the result of this. Can we have the musicians? got one minute, so we're going to use up five. I want us to sing that last song, the good one. Raise a hallelujah. Because I think, you know, in the middle of storms, that's what we need to do. Yeah, acknowledge it's a storm, and then raise a hallelujah in the middle of it, and say, Jesus, yeah, it's a storm, but hallelujah, I am going to rule and reign in the middle of this thing, and I'm going to sing my way through it.